All right, so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter number 4. If you would turn there, and we're going to look at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, uh, back at the beginning of September, the first week in September, Pastor Stewart uh, preached through uh, verses 1 through 8 in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, he kind of covered uh, a lot of, especially the, the, the bottom half of that, eight, verses 8 and 9. Uh, and ten, but we will uh, we're we're going to look at uh, just several verses in the middle of the passage, so kind of take a different direction. Uh, but let's read this together, and then we'll pray and uh, and see what the Lord says here. Let's let's read verses one through verse number. We'll read through verse seven just to kind of pick up that that tail end of that context. The Bible says, "Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord." Beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, it's a blessing to know that when the Lord, as we, we saw this morning, that the Lord does call us. When we get saved, the moment when we pass from death unto life, that we do that because the Lord was inclined to us and called us. But He calls us, and this is an important point for us to remember, He calls us not simply to be saved, but He gives us a job to do. And you know what? All of us should be somewhat, we were talking to, uh, I was talking to Brother Sister McLean last night at the fellowship, and we were talking about the idea of serving the Lord in the church. And all of us should have a, a little bit of discontentment if we, are, are, we do not have a place to serve the Lord. In other words, it's called, va va not vacation, vocation. It's just one letter different. In fact, it's just one stroke different. The Lord has not called us to vacation, but to a vocation. Vocation. And, uh, and so that means He has a job for us to do, and, and I'm glad of that. You know, when we get to, when we get to heaven, we, you're, we're not going to hang around in heaven forever. You know, there's coming a kingdom, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to serve the Lord in the kingdom. And so, um, and so that, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. You know, I'm, I'm a, Pastor Stu and I often talk about how I'm a, I am a task-oriented person. And that means that if, if I have things to do, that's what drives me, a list, a to-do list. And sometimes I have to be careful because I don't want to talk to people. I want to do stuff. And uh, so I have to slow down and try, and try to make sure I, uh, or, I talk to people or I put people on my list and then, and then all of a sudden it becomes part of my tasks. <laughs> and so let's read verse 2. With all long, uh, lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So you have this kind of contrast. You have these one, 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 and then you get down to verse 7 and he says everyone, which is not unity but distinctness. Right? That's what you have in verse 7. Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into the, these verses here. Lord, 
Lord, you know how much we need your help to understand the scriptures and to rightly apply them. I pray that you, I pray, Lord, for your guidance and your clear direction, uh, both in the teaching and in the, and in the hearing of the word of God, to know how to apply these things and see these things clearly. Please, Lord, uh, meet with us and teach us and, and stir us up and help us to uh, have a greater sense of uh, not of the unity that we should have, although that's true, but the unity that we do have, uh, being a part of your body, being a, being a member of your family. So, Lord, we again commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we look at this, one thing I want to point out from the beginning in verse number 2 and verse 3 is this is not the only time in the Bible in which God tells us that we must forbear one another. What does that even mean? Forbear. Forbear. It just simply means, it means just to put up with one another, right? In other words, to bring it right down to where we live, what that means is, in the church, this is the context, in the church, I am going to do, do things that get on your nerves. And you know what? In the church... You are going to do things that get on my nerves, right? And the Lord says, we need to get over it, right? That, that those things that we do as people, sometimes the things we do to one another get on one another's nerves as a result of the quirks of our own personalities. Sometimes those things that we do that get on one another's nerves are sinful, right? That, that's sometimes true. And then sometimes those things that we do get on our nerves is, is we're, a person might have a, a, just a spotless, just a clean and pure motive, and we're just in a bad mood. And we must recognize that we ourselves from day to day are, you know, we're, constant, we're fluid, you know. We sometimes wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and we just, we have a hard time, you know, whatever. And sometimes that happens. And so here's the thing. Every disagreement, every, every little time that we get miffed about something does not have to be the end of the world. It does not have to be the end of our relationship. It does not have to be the end of our intimacy and closeness of fellowship, right? We can just forbear one another. And the best way, at least in my experience, to keep that in mind is to remember that however that person feels, I'm sorry, however I might feel about what that person said or did, I have caused other people to feel that same way. And so that, that just gives us that sense of humility and, and to remember that we're all afflicted with the same, <laughs> with the same problems. So he says, and, and again, this is not the only time this is mentioned. And then in verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice the, the mention of unity. The word unity is not mentioned many times in the Bible. But this is one of the times, and it says, in the bond of peace. So this word peace is, is interesting because peace can have, two, can, can have two kind of meanings. Peace can refer to like, tranquility, but it can also refer to the idea of reconciliation. In other words, two parties that are on friendly terms with one another, that are friendly with one another. And that's what this is referring to. It's referring to that friendly relationship, that friendly relationship. And, uh, and so he says in verse 3 that we must 
endeavor to keep the unity of the peace, uh, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And again, just like in verse number two, that reminds us that this will not always be an easy process. This will not always be an easy, uh, an, an easy thing to perform and to fulfill because we are, we, you know, we have issues and we have distinctions. Nobody can, no one argues that each one of us has a different view about things innumerable. You know, if we, had, if we had to change the pews in the building or we had to change the light fixtures or we had to change the paint or we had to change whatever, you know, each one of us is going to have a different opinion. And, and some of those opinions, the way we express them would be, uh, would be, you know, very animated probably and very passionate and that kind of thing. But, but here's the thing. The Lord in this passage has given us a series of things in verses 4 down through verse number 6 that are statements that should support our unity. In other words, these things are true of us in, in our church. And not just of our church, but in, in the church of God in general. But these things are true. And these things right here that we'll read about are the basis of our unity. And you know what? When these things are in order, and they are statements, right? They are not conditionals, they're statements. And when these things are in order, all the other things that we quibble about and quarrel about and argue about should, at least they should equip us to, maybe those things aren't unimportant, but they should take a lesser priority and it should be things that we can relegate to, uh, to kindly disagreeing. You know, and not making every matter the end of the world. You know, one, one, thing, that, one thing that bothers me, and I try, to, I try to, you know, try to avoid this, because we all have the tendency to do it, which is to take disagreements that we might have with one another and turn them into some great doctrinal disagreement. In other words, we, have a very, we are very, very good at taking something that is not doctrinal not, it has no really, it's really just a preference. It's really something of, of much less importance. And through our, our, uh, our ability of logic, we, we, we argue it into, it's essential as the, the deity of Christ or the, you know, or something like that. And we do this because we want to argue about it. <laughs> we want to disagree and we want to disagree with justification. But of course, that's not the right thing to do. And, you know, being able to disagree with someone in the church, your brother, your sister in Christ, and do so kindly is actually part of the, the uh, Christian grace. It's actually a, a grace of God, you know, that, that you could do that. You could disagree with someone that you have a sincere dis dis disagreement with and do so kindly. And it not affect your relationship. Did you know, as often as I, as, I, as I spend time with Pastor Stewart and we talk about various things, there's, there's issues that we can, if you ask Pastor Stewart, he's listening right now, I'm sure. In fact, I know he is because he commented on the, uh, the men. So I'm going to say it. 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 If you ask Pastor Stewart and you ask myself on what day Jesus died, whether it be on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. I'm not going to tell you who believes what. I'll just say this. 
we believe differently. And we both believe differently passionately. But you know what? After we throw our food at each other and we get cleaned up, we go on our day and we still love one another. No, and that's, that's an example. That's an example. Now, we could, we could say, we could take something that, you know, something like that, which is a biblical topic, perhaps, and we could, ta- we, could, we could inflate that and artificially, really, inflate that into some grand doctrinal thing about whether you believe the Bible or whether you're, you know, King James only or whether you could, I mean, you can inflate it. I'm sure he's writing me right now. <laughs> he said, I would allow you to be wrong. <laughs> They all laugh, but don't believe it. They all, they all believe like me, Pastor Stewart. So you can inflate into some other argument and then create a problem, but that's, that is not, that is outside of what we're reading here. See, we have to be able to disagree on some things and do so with love and kindness. And you know what? That might sound para, para, like a paradox, but in the word, in the, in the world rather, uh, you know, we're not talking about unity in the world. We're talking about enforcing uniformness, uniformity, which is you are going to believe like me or I'm going to cast you out forever, you know, in every matter. And you see that in the news all the time, all the time. And uh, it's really, uh, honestly, it's, it's just flat out disgusting and wicked. So let's look at verse number four. So I won't keep you too long. Verse four says this. Here are these, again, these are not conditions, okay? Notice it says, there is, there is, there is. That's, that's, what, that's, the, that's the grammar here, there is. So the Lord is saying, this is true of you in the church. This is the fact. This is the reality. Here is your condition. This is your relationship together as a church. He's not saying, he's not saying here's a list. If everyone checks all these boxes off, Lord, faith, baptism, uh, body, spirit, you know, all those things, if they do all that, then you can be nice to them. No. He's saying you should have unity because these things are true of you. I say it to my kids all the time, you know, or not all the time, but sometimes I'll say to them, you know, when they're having disagreements, we'll remind them of their relationship to one another. You are siblings. You should treat people, treat each other nicely. You should treat each other with the greatest regard. You should do that because of your relationship. That is a fact, right? You might not like each other, but you, you are siblings, like it or not, right? You are. And so, that is the basis for endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, right? All right, so let's look at this. There is one body. Of course, this refers to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the, the, uh, the group of all believers of all time who have put their faith in Christ. And this is a reference to one fellowship. Amazingly, I am not the alliterating kind of preacher at all, but I actually was able to alliterate most of these. So uh, th- this will be the one and only time you'll probably hear me ever do that. Uh, one body, one fellowship. What this, what this speaks of is, and, and this is an amazing fact, this speaks of the equality among believers. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? What I mean is we're in, we are all as, as the body of Christ and we're all members of the body of Christ. Because of that, it doesn't matter whether we're 
whether we're young or old, whether we're rich or poor. It matters not whether we, uh, whether, what kind of uh, uh, station in life that, that we come from. It doesn't matter what kind of job we have. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter our nationality. It doesn't matter our background, whether we were in prison or whether we have never committed any serious crime, even a misdemeanor. It doesn't matter whether we're black or white or some other race. There is a certain unity because we are all in the same body. And you know what? What's interesting about this, that this is the basis. And really, this doctrine is the basis for what, for what we have come to understand as the equality of mankind. In fact, the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Putting aside that those men didn't really follow that out necessarily, but the basis of that, the, the, the people that wrote, the, the founding fathers that signed the Declaration of Independence, they didn't, that idea did not originate with them. That is built upon the foundation of this truth. The body of, in the body of Christ, if you're a member and I'm a member, we are members on, members on equal footing. And you know what? One other thing that is also true in that regard is the cross. The cross is the great equalizer, right? You've heard people say that before, but it's true. And in Romans chapter three, the Bible says, the Lord hath concluded them all in sin that he might, what? Have mercy upon all. In other words, the cross, Jesus died for every man. And in the same way, the body of Christ, you're a member, I'm a member, fully, equally. There is no uh, clergy and laity. Look, Pastor Stewart is not a member of the clergy. Now, legally, he might be or in the eyes of the state, but in the Scripture, he's not a member of a clergy because that doesn't exist. We don't have that kind of uh, clergy-laity division. He is a brother just like you are a brother or a sister. And that's the real, all of us are on that same level footing. And you know, it doesn't matter what our, what our, our race is. And listen, and, that's, and that goes back to an important point. Racism, no matter what form it takes on, black on white, white on black, or any other race, on any other race, has never, ever been supported on, in the text of the New Testament for sure. It's never been. I don't care if it was in the 50s or the 1800s or the 1700s. It's never been in the Bible because of verses like this. Now look at 1 Corinthians real quick, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, let's jump down to verse number 22. Talking about the, <clears throat> this is, a, of course, a reference to the, um, uh, the body, but I'll just read verse 22. We might come back to this chapter, so you might want to just put a mark here, and we'll come back to it in a second. But in verse 22, it says this, Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. You know what that tells me? There is one body. All of us are needed equally. You see that? That gives us, that equality gives us unity. He says this, verse, uh, jump down to verse number 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. 
or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. A good test there. A good test of unity. Can you and I rejoice with others who are honored? Without that competitive, biblical word is emulation, without that competitive spirit, can we truly rejoice without thinking, well, I wish they would do it. Can we do that? Because that's biblical unity. But it's founded on the idea that we're all part of the same body. That means when they're honored, I'm honored. Just like when the, you know, when, when I when the, get my nails painted, I'm not getting my nails painted. You get your nails painted, it makes your whole body look better, right? That's, that's why the ladies do it, I assume, right? I mean, it makes, you, it makes you feel better about yourself, right? Get your hair, whatever they do with their hair, and, you know, whatever they do. I, yeah, our, our family has had runarounds about that here recently, especially. But we do that, and the whole body rejoices because we're one body. And in the same way, when we suffer, we suffer similarly also. You know what? The fact that in the body of Christ, you suffer, and that suffering affects me, and then I have the similar suffering, that that similarity, that commonness creates unity. We suffer similarly. Now, going back to Ephesians 4, we go to the next one. It says, and one spirit. I call this one filling. All right, going with F's, you know, going with F's. What that means is we are all indwelt by the Spirit of God. And again, this is where the doctrinal truth, that is the doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in all believers, that's where that doctrine comes into the practical, into the real life, right? The doctrine is every person who believes in Christ receives the Holy Spirit, right? Everybody understand that? That's a doctrine, right? So much so that if anyone has, does not have the Spirit of God, he is not God's child, right? That's, that's in Romans, okay? That's the doctrine. But what is the practical? The practical is you have the same Spirit I've got. Everyone in the church has it that has believed, and of course, you got to believe to be in the church. Every one of us has the same spirit. That means the way that, listen now, that means the way that God is working in you is, what, is the same way He's working in me because it's the same spirit. That means when you sin, He treats you the same way as when I sin, the way He treats me. That means your experience is the same as mine. Now, of course, there are differences, but there is commonness. There is commonness. We have similar experiences. And what God is doing in you, He's doing in me. And so therefore, we have similar struggles. Should And see, that is, that's one of the things that is a, is a real motivator for praying for one another and comforting one another. Like for instance, up until my aunt, my mom's sister, Stacy, up until she died from COVID, I had never had someone close to me who was, especially someone who was younger, uh, pass away. Like my grandfather had died, but that was a, you know, a result of an illness and, and you kind of saw it coming. But I had never experienced that kind of, kind of what felt like a more tragic kind of event. You know what? That, that was something I had to go through. But you know, other people in the church went through that. Now listen, as a believer. So the comfort that you received and the comfort that I received, you know what it would be? Similar. And there's a connection there because it's common. 
And that's why, you know, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But just say that, let's just say that because we have the same spirit, the way God works in us is also the same. And it reinforces what I just said about the principle of equality. Because it doesn't matter if you're white or black or, or some other race. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. You have the same spirit. So that principle of equality is reinforced once again. And then we go to the next one. It says, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. What I call this is one future. The hope. in, in somebody in Sunday school, what is the hope? Somebody's in our Sunday school class. Tell me what the hope is. What is it a reference to? Come on now. Come on now. Well, yes, but you're not in my Sunday school class. <laughs> Someone else. Oh, man, you're embarrassing me. It refers to, it refers to, of course, the hope that is faith in something that is yet future, which is a reference to the coming of the Lord, and especially as it relates to the resurrection of the body. But here's the thing. We are, as believers in the church of God, we are all going to the same place, right? We're all going to be together. We're going to the same place and we're going there together. In other words, not only are we going to end up in the same place, our travel there is also together. Because when Jesus returns, those that are alive and remain should be caught up, to get, caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And then those that are, have already uh, gone to sleep in the Lord, they'll return and we'll meet him together and go to heaven together. We all have the same future. Our future is common. Now, how does that affect, how does that affect other things? You know, when somebody in our church passes away, we have the same comfort, right? We comfort one another knowing that we sorrow not even as others which have no hope because we have hope. And you know what? What's more is when you and I have a family member who does not know Christ and they pass away, that, that tinge of pain of knowing that that person is lost is also common. And that's something that we understand keenly among ourselves that creates unity because we have one hope. We have one hope. Look at 1 Thessalonians real quick. If you would, chapter 2. Verse number 19. It says this, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy at his coming. You see that? He says, what is our hope? In other words, his hope is tied to the presence of, of the church of God with him at when he appears before the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. It's all tied up together. All right, go back to Ephesians 4. One Verse 5 says, one Lord. You know, as the Lord, the word Lord, of course, refers to a master, a director, an owner. And because He is the Lord, we all have the same Lord. And so, therefore, He is our Lord. That means His Word is our law. In other words, we follow the same directions. Because He is David, because He's your Lord, and because He's my Lord, 
You follow his directions because he's your Lord, right? And I follow his, his directions because he's my Lord. Well, what does that mean? That means that what you're doing and what I'm doing is the same. Furthermore, because we follow the Lord and, and his directions, what the Lord says in, in his word is how David and all of you get your value system. You know that? That's how you determine what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. And because he's my Lord, I have the same value system. You know, this is why it seems that all Christians are against abortion. You know, you think of abortion as a political issue. For us, it's not political, right? Abortion is not political. The idea of homosexuality, the transgender movement and all that, it has nothing to do with politics for us. You know why? Because we, and why, why does it seem that the Christians are in lockstep with one another on, the, on these questions, especially the questions of morality? You know why? One Lord, right? You believe what he says, he, he's the one that gives you direction. And that's the same for me. And so what we find is we agree, Right? has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat at all. Nothing at all. It has to do with what's right and what's wrong according to what God says. Right? And then sometimes you find, you, get, you, you come across a Christian who differs on some of these things. And you know it stands out. Because you're like, okay, hold on. But, but, but the Lord said this. Why are you... See, the unity is broken. You see that? Again, it's not political. It's a matter of God's word. And so here's what that means. That means because we have one Lord, that means your worldview and my worldview is essentially the same. The way we look at the world, the lens through which we view the world is the same. Not because, not because it is enforced upon us, but because the Lord is common between us. And so we have unity. The way we think is similar. You know, we're not, we're not brainwashed. We just have the same Lord. <laughs> it's just that simple. The next one says, one faith. One faith. All right? You could simply define this as, there's different ways to define it, but let's just say this. These are things that we hold to be true. These are things that are based upon God's words. God's Word. These are the major and essential elements of what we believe to be true about God, ourselves, the world, about Jesus Christ, about sin, about salvation, about faith in Christ, about eternal life. All these major questions, the faith refers to that. Look, look at 1 Corinthians, if you would, again, chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 5 says this. It's an interesting, just an interesting, um, of course, this, I'm, not, I'm not following the context too clearly, but, but just looking at the verses, you see an interesting uh, thing that kind of stands out here. Verse 5 of chapter 8 of First Corinthians says, For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things. And we in Him, notice this unity, the one, one, one. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. He's making a distinction between, uh, between the church 
and the world based upon their faith, right? What belief system they have. And he says, the world, there's many gods. You know what? They all disagree. But within the church, we know of only one faith. We know of only one faith. Now, on this point, there's always a question as to what is included in the faith. And this is where it really, the question I brought up about Pastor Stewart and I uh, believing about the, uh, the day that in w- on which Christ died, that's where, that's where we inflate this into things that are much more than it has to be because we, we turn it into a matter of faith. But I think uh, if we look at the book, of, if you would turn to Jude, I know we're kind of flipping around a little bit, but hopefully it uh, won't take too long to look at Jude. Verse number three, I think there's a good, kind of a good test to determine whether something is of the faith or if it's just something we're arguing about. Jude 3, it says this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, notice that common salvation, that's one faith, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for, notice that, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now notice that last kind of phrase, which was once delivered unto the saints. See, that's the key. The faith is that doctrine that was originally given by the Lord to the church, right? You see, the, the, place, where, the place where it departs is when other ideas are, are imposed upon the text of Scripture, which was given by God Himself. And these other doctrines come in that are based in maybe tradition or based in different theological systems and stuff. And they're imposed on the text of Scripture, even though the Scripture does not plainly teach it. And our, our, the unity can be destroyed that way. But see, the faith is that which was delivered originally by the Lord. In other words, it's what the Bible says. <laughs> it's what the Bible says. So, The faith that we have, the faith that we have causes us to have similar experience. You know, all of us have, all of us have come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Our salvation testimonies, though the details are are different, the essentials are the same. We can relate to one another on that basis. And then in verse five, it says, one baptism, one baptism. Now, we already read verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse number 13, but we'll read, uh, let's look at Galatians chapter 3 real quick. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 27. Now, this baptism, I don't believe, is referring to water baptism. You might believe that it is referring to water baptism. And you know what? I'm not going to argue with you about it. <laughs> but I don't think it is, Okay for reasons like this. Verse number 27 of Galatians chapter 3, it says, For as many of you as as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Once again, reinforcing that idea of equality. Baptism. 
which is a, this is a reference not to water baptism, I believe, but to the, the baptism of the Spirit. Now, if you would, real quick, as we, try, as we wind down, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 10. I want to show you an example of this in action, this fact of baptism being a unifying factor. So Peter was told by the Lord to basically share the gospel with Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and, and the group that came with him, Right? What happened while Peter was speaking? Chapter 10, verse number 44 says this. So Peter is witnessing to these people. He's just telling them the gospel. You know, he's just trying to tell them what he knows. And in chapter 10, verse 44 of Acts, the Bible says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. This is a reference to the baptism of the Spirit. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? Now flip over a few pages to chapter 15, verse 7. So Peter is witnessing to these people, these Gentiles, non-Jews, who had up to this point, had not been saved. Like, they didn't even bother witnessing to these people. <laughs> they thought the gospel was just for the Jews. Now, they shouldn't have thought that, but they did. All right? There was reason for them not to believe that, but they did. Now, in chapter 15, Peter is recalling what had happened in chapter 10. And in chapter 15, verse 7, verse 7 says this, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up, and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that God, that a, I'm sorry, that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles my, by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. This is the key, verse 9. And put no difference between us, that's the Jews, and them the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. So the baptism of the Spirit, which happened in Acts 10 there, was the evidence to Peter that there was no difference between these two races. In the body of Christ, they were the same. The same. That is the basis of unity. And the last of all in Ephesians chapter 4 is, let me get back there, is in verse number 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. This means one family, right? There's only one God and Father that we all have. Miss Pam, God is your Father. And he's my father. Lamarck, God is your father. He's like, he's my father. That means not only, we don't have aunts and uncles in the Lord. There are only brothers and sisters. <laughs> we have older brothers and younger brothers and older sisters and younger sisters, but we're all brothers and sisters. That's it. That's the only relationship that exists in the body of Christ. But because God is our father, we are permanently and essentially connected to one another. That bond can never and not, nor will ever be broken. Nothing can break this bond. This bond is eternal. All right? You think of my kids. 
what makes them, what gives them unity and cohesion as a group? You know what, you know what gives them cohesion? It's not the fact that they live in the same house, although that probably helps. What it does is the fact that they have the same mom and dad. Nothing can change that, no matter how much they might, might dislike that fact. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Now, these are, these are the, we might call the basis for, for Christian unity. This is the reason why we should be of one mind, that we should get along with each other. But you know also tells us, these things here cover practically every major and essential and important area of our life. So that means outside of these things are more trivial matters, right? If it's not in this, it's probably trivial. And if it's trivial or of lesser importance, we ought to be able to disagree kindly, right? We ought to be able to, even though we might not see eye to eye, we ought to be able to to have a different opinion and still love one another and there be no rift, listen now, whatsoever between us. Now, saying that is very easy. Of course, doing it is always the hard part. Especially when you believe something uh, passionately. But this is, the, this is the grounds for us endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so there are things of lesser importance. And on those things, uh, on those things, we have to learn to disagree with love. With love. So this is basically a, the basis for Christian unity. Let's pray together.